Hi everyone, welcome to the Faith Christian Podcast. At Faith Christian, our purpose is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information about Faith Christian, check out our website, fccnp.org, or stop by on a Sunday morning. We'd love to meet you. Now we hope you enjoy this recent teaching from Faith Christian Church. being here this morning. I want to um, just uh, let you know of a couple of announcements that I need to make here as I begin. First and foremost, I um, want to remind you that a week from Wednesday for our middle school and high school age kids, they're going to Cedar Point. There is a sign-up sheet out in the atrium on the glass wall by the office. Please um, sign up if you're planning on going that that is Wednesday, um, July 26th. I know that the kids always have a good time, and they try to pick a day when they can ride as many roller coasters as possible. So a few less people there on Wednesdays as normal. Also, Josie has asked me to remind you that we're going to have a choir again for Sunday, August 26th, I believe, or August 27th, I'm sorry. So if you would like to participate in that um, choir, there is going to be a rehearsal the Sunday evening prior to that, and she'll have some more details about that as we come up. So last week, Larry began um, a sermon series out of the book of Malachi. And Larry talked about the main purpose of Malachi was to reestablish the standards of excellence for God's people. Larry talked last week about the text that was specific about finding excellence in our standard of worship, making sure that our heart and our mind was ready to worship God. And so we have talked about the importance of striving for excellence in every part of our lives because excellence honors God. So over the next two weeks, we're going to be continuing this series in the book of Malachi and looking at this standard of excellence, how it applies to our relationship with our spouse. That's going to be next week. We're going to be talking a little bit about marriage. Then I laughed at Larry because I said, so you're going to give me the one this week that talks about the excellence in our giving. And he said, exactly, and I'm going to be on the beach while you talk about this. You know, we often joke about things like that because nothing captures our attention more than when someone wants to talk about money, does it? We all shift in our seat and we start thinking about different things. You know, Americans spend much of their waking hours thinking about money. Let's be honest, don't we? We work most of our day we come home and we think about, well, we've worked and we've made some money, so how are we going to spend the money? Maybe it's through the toys that we have, or maybe it's for, through the toys that we want to have, or maybe it's just simply through sitting there scratching our heads, thinking about, how am I going to pay for everything that I have? Malachi spends some time talking about money and how we should look at money in an excellent way. Think about this for a minute. Before we jump into the text, we're going to have a little fun for just a minute, okay? We're going to play a little game. Most great cities are known by a specific landmark. 
I'm going to put a landmark up here on the screen, and I want you to tell me what city this landmark is from. Let's look at the first one. Who, where is this? Paris, France, of course, the Eiffel Tower. Let's look at city number two. Anybody? New York City, that's the Empire State Building. Let's try this one. London, England. Did you know it because of Big Ben or because of the double-decker buses? Or maybe a little bit of both. How about this one? Orlando, Disney World. Here's one more. Canton, Ohio, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Long before I moved to Northeast Ohio, I knew Canton, Ohio as soon as that place came up. These landmarks symbolize and define these cities in many ways. And I think the same is true by some of these texts that we're going to be looking at in the book of Malachi. These are landmark texts that when we look at them, apart from everything else, we realize God is saying something very specific to us. Now, can I be honest with you? Do you realize that the Bible talks about our view of money more than any other subject in all of Scripture? In fact, Jesus talked about money and our relationship with money more than any other thing. And we seem to get a little upset. Maybe it's nervous, maybe it's frustrated, whatever it is, whenever we talk about money. But I think God wants us to understand not just about what we're to give, but how we're to view money. And how money is not to be the driving force in our lives. So if you'll just let me speak for a few minutes about this, and let's put all of our preconceived notions and all of our preconceived struggles with this away, and let's just let God speak to us about what God wants us to hear about how we can view money in an excellent way. Because the reality is, our view of money has a direct relationship with our relationship with God and with God's people. The first thing that I think we need to understand about what Malachi teaches us is that spiritual transformation has an economic impact. The results are true. We, do you realize that the word tithe... Anybody know what tithe means? 10%, right? Actually, tithing is a tenth part. Sandy was exactly right. It is the only time in all of Scripture that we are given a percentage. Let's listen to what Malachi says in Malachi chapter 3. Let's listen to these words. The Lord do, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. 
Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for it to store. We need to understand that tithing was a helpful practice to aid in the spiritual formation in biblical times. Tithing was essential to the economic impact of Israel and the way they did life. Everything about Israel revolved around tithing. In the book of Leviticus, chapter 27, verse 30, we read these words. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Tithing was a part of the economic fabric for the nation of Israel. The old preacher story told about a man who had recently become a Christian. And oftentimes when people first become a Christian, they'll stop in the church and they'll visit with the ministers and they'll talk and they'll, you know, chew, chew one another and talk with one another over time. And this man came into the church one day and he asked the preacher, he said, I've heard about this thing called a tith. The minister looked at him and said, a tith? I don't understand what you're talking about. Well, he said, I've heard people out in the pews. They've talked about that we are to be giving a tithing. The preacher goes, oh, they're talking about tithing, not tithing. Oh, okay, well, what is a tithe? The man said, well, the preacher said is a tithe is when you give 10% of your income back to God. The old Christian looked at him and said, really? 10%? I thought it was 25%. Well, the preacher said, oh, you're talking about tithing, not tithing. Well, I'm not going to go there, but for ancient Israel, tithing was maybe a little bit closer than what we could think of. In biblical times, according to the law of Moses, there were actually three tithes that were collected by the people of Israel. One was to support the priests and Levites. I like that tithe, you know. The other tithe was collected to fund the sacred celebrations, the annual feast and the festivals that the Israelites participated in. And the third one was collected every three years, and it was used to support the orphans and the widows. One commentator said it this way, that if you actually adjusted the income for an Israelite in that day and age, the tithe was closer to 23% than 10%. So let's be honest, that doesn't make that 10% sound so bad now, does it? John Ortberg, a great um, apologist of our day and age, said there are two primary factors that set Israel above and distinct from any other nation in the ancient Mediterranean world. The first was that they worshipped one God, that they were monotheistic. But the second was that they had ingrained in their mind that they were to develop 
a generation of generosity in their lives. That's the difference. They institutionalized giving in all that they had. All of their life was built around being a giving people. Malachi comes to the people of Israel. In that day and age, in verse 8 of chapter 3, he says that we are robbing God by withholding their tithes and their offerings. Now, in reality, this is a pretty serious allegation. We read this in our English word, and we get that they're robbing from God, and we think, okay. But in the ancient Hebrew language, this is very specific. In fact, in Hebrew, it describes very, three very strong images. The first one is this, that they are forcibly robbing from God. We're not, not talking petty theft. We're talking they are robbing with violence, and they are robbing with distinct intent. The second indication of this Hebrew word is that it is consistently happening. This is not a one-time thing. This has become the pattern of their life. And the third thing is this, and I think this may be the strongest. They are personally robbing from God. God says, you're not just robbing from my things. You are robbing from me. The practice of tithing, God takes very seriously. God wants us to know that it is a personal thing to be generous with him. Why? Well, I think it's when, when our thinking gets vague about money, we begin to, be, begin to be misaligned with everything else in our lives. The Bible talks a lot about money. Jesus talks a lot, a lot about money because money has to do a direct parallelation with our devotion to God. But I want you to understand something. It's not about the money. No, really. We think it's always about the money. But with God, it's about people. We don't give to God because God needs our money. God already owns everything. We don't even give to God because he wants our money. But when we don't give to God, and it's not about money, we realize that when we are withholding our tithes and our generosity, it indicates that there's an issue with our relationship with God and with our relationship with God's people. John Maxwell, the great preacher and the great leader, said it this way, the last thing you get and the first thing to go are a person's money. When a person becomes a Christ follower or joins a church, usually the slowest thing for them to turn over is their money. But the first thing to go when people get angry or people begin to have a problem is when they become dissatisfied and they take their money away. When people stop giving to the God, it's not a money problem. 
It's an indicator of a much deeper problem that the person is having in their relationship with God or in their relationship with God's people. Usually, a relationship problem with God is seen over years, and it's seen in one of several ways. After 30 years in the ministry, I've seen this over and over again. When a person stops giving, when a person stops reading Scripture and praying, and when a person stops coming to church, there's an issue that they have to deal with. You show me a person where one of these things have happened, and I'll show you a person who is drifting spiritually, and I'll show you a person who is hurting spiritually. It's an indication of a relationship problem. And God is a God of relationships. Please understand me, God wants most importantly to be in a relationship with you. And part of that is turning over everything. Verse 7, God says, return to me. In other words, he is challenging the people of Israel in that day, and I think he's challenging us still today to take some action, to do something, to get moving, and to make the right choices again. It's not just about money, although that's what the text is about. It's about realigning our relationship with him and being open to him. And then in verse 10, he tells us to bring it to the storehouse. And you know what he's talking about there? The storehouse in the Old Testament was the place where people met with God in corporate worship to celebrate together. We practice that today by bringing our tithes and our offerings to the local church. This is a practical place where accountable and reasonable things can happen with God's money to be used. And it only makes sense to financially support the place where you are fed and where you are led spiritually. But there's a second thing that I think Malachi teaches us, and that is that tithing is a standard, not a stumbling block. Remember, the whole theme of the book of Malachi is to reestablish the standards of excellence among God's people. There is no question in my mind that the standard of giving that God uses to measure our generosity is tithing. But it's not a stumbling block for someone to receive and experience God's grace. Understand this, nowhere in the New Testament does it say, Christians, you are required to give 10% back to the Lord. Nowhere does it say in the Bible that when we stand before the judgment throne of God, that God is going to look at us and say, show me all your W-2s, and then show me your giving statements from the church. Tithing was never meant to be legalistically enforced in the New Testament church. However, one thing that Jesus never said was, by the way, now that I've introduced grace and given it all to you, don't worry about giving anything back to me. 
Jesus was very clear that he came not to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. No one in the New Testament churches ever said, thank God for grace, we're out from under the law, so we don't have to give anymore. In fact, the earliest church, they were so overwhelmed by God's mercy and grace, they went well beyond the tithe. I think it's unhealthy and unwise to view tithing as a place to stop in our giving. Understand this. Now I'm going to meddle for just a minute. I believe tithing was intended not to be not to be the ceiling but rather to be the floor it was not to be the finish line that we are looking for but it's to be the starting blocks for where our generosity is in our relationship with God do you know that there is a website out there called tipping.org anybody go to a restaurant and leave a tip Everybody does that, right? You can raise your hands. Yeah. You know, um, maybe you go to the airport and somebody carries your bag, they give you a tip and everything. Well, there is actually a website that tells you how much you're supposed to tip for these things. I looked at it this week. A sky cap at an airport. It's supposed to be a dollar a bag. For a pizza delivery person, if it's a short distance, which I kind of laughed, I'm like, what's a short distance and what's a long distance? If it's a short distance, you're supposed to tip $1 to $2 per item that you purchase. If it's a longer distance, $2 to $3 that, um, per item. If you are at a restaurant, the best idea is to give 15 to 20% of the bill. But really, it comes down to what our service is like, doesn't it? That's what determines how much we give. You know, what our service is like. There's an understanding, an unwritten law in most of our minds that we will give based on what we get. Correct? And that's how we calculate our generosity. But I, I want us to understand something. God is not our servant. God is our creator. God is our sustainer. God is our savior and Lord. And he has been extraordinarily gracious and generous to each and every one of us. God sent his one and only son to die for us. In the Old Testament, God spelled out the standard, the tithe is the Lord. And in the New Testament, he has given us Jesus Christ, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, the gift of the Holy Spirit, guidance through his word. He has given us Christian community. How much should we give to God? We should be generous with all that we have to God. And the third thing that I think Malachi is teaching us is that tithing is more of a gift from God than it is a gift to God. 
Malachi, Malachi declares that there will be blessings poured out on those who are faithful tithers. What does that mean? What if tithing is one of God's greatest gifts to us? A recent study came out that indicated that Christians who are generous to the church generally are healthier in their finances than those that don't. Researchers compared tithers and non-tithers and found that tithers are better off in every category. Among tithers, 80% of them have no unpaid credit card bills. 74% of them don't owe anything on cars. 48% of them own their houses outright. And 28% of them are totally debt-free. The weird thing is this. A tither might look at themselves and say, I'm better off because I give. A non-tither might look and say, oh, they give because they're better off. Well, which is it? The author of the report says the findings are unprecedented, but they're not unheard of. Now, please hear me. I am not preaching the health and wealth gospel. But I am telling you specifically what God says. Test me, and I will throw open my storehouses for you. Understand this. When we vertically make our relationship with God correct, and we become generous with God, God blesses us in so many ways. I have told the story many times, and I'm going to tell it again. When we lived in southern Illinois, little church in Sisney, Illinois, great church, their view was that the preacher should never make more than a first-year um, teacher. Now, they didn't care how long the preacher had been there, they didn't care about anything about the preacher's educational level. The preacher should never make more than a first-year teacher. So for years, when we lived in southern Illinois, I was making about $18,000 a year with two kids. And I was driving about 600 miles a week going back and forth to college, or seminary, getting my master's degree. I remember on Sundays... We would come into the church in the first, um, during the first song, and I would come in, and the song leader would come in behind. We had the two thrones that set up on the front of the stage. I always hated that. Preacher was supposed to sit on the throne behind the pulpit, and the song leader was there. And I remember every Sunday when offering was passed, Natalie would always give me the check, so it'd be in my pocket, and I'd reach into my suit pocket because back in those days, preacher was expected to wear a suit and tie every Sunday at church. And I can remember many weeks sitting there with the offering coming and that check in my pocket, realizing that when I put that check in the offering plate, I had no earthly idea how I would have gas money to get back and forth from church to school that week. And I would sit there, preacher's mentality. 
I would sit there and I would have a debate in my mind. Do I put this check in the offering? Or do I just simply forget it in my coat this week? And I would sit there and I would debate back and forth and I would finally put the plate, the, uh, the check in that offering plate. I can't tell you every week that this happened, but I can tell you more than any other. That week I would get a funeral and I would have a little bit extra money from that funeral. Or we had one little old lady, loved her dearly, about every six weeks, again, preacher went to the back of the church after, after the sermon, and he would shake everybody's hand. She would come out on that particular Sunday, and there would be a $20 bill in her hand that she would put in my hand. She didn't have $20 to give, but she would give it to me, and that would get me back and forth to school back when $20 would fill your gas up in your car. I'm here to tell you that when we recognize that what God wants from us is that he wants our hearts and he wants us to trust him that God will throw open the storehouse. So very practically, I think there are some things that he wants us to do, and I'm going to be very quick with these. The first is this. He wants to liberate you from the love of money and our grip of greed that it has on us. I think he also wants us to experience the lasting joy of giving that exceeds the temporary rush from receiving. And I think he wants to partner with each and every one of us in spreading the gospel. He wants to teach us that we are called to lay our treasures up in heaven and not here on this earth. But most of all, most of all, he wants you to become more like him and that we can do our best when we learn to give sacrificially. Because ne God was never more like God when he became the giver. God is a giver at the heart. What did he say in John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave. And God is still in the business of giving. He gives to us each and every day the gift of life, the gift of his spirit, and the gift of always being there for us. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for teaching us that giving is not just about a percent. Giving is an attitude of our heart, of being open and honest, and of recognizing that a relationship with you is what is important. Father, as we prepare to come around your table here in just a moment, I thank you that you demonstrated what true giving is by giving your one and only Son so that we might have life eternal. Father, I pray that you will help us to grow in our relationship and grow in our connection. In Christ's name we pray, amen.